At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Uh, good morning. Welcome. Uh, if this is your first time, we're glad that you chose to venture out in the snow. Yes, we can still give thanks even though winter has come. Uh, it's okay. It's supposed to get a little warmer at the end of this week. Um, as I was thinking about today and the opportunity to kind of deliver uh, God's Word to us. Uh, by the way, my name is Alex, if I don't know you. Uh, but I was thinking about just kind of this season. Uh, this week, hopefully you had the opportunity to have some moments of rest, uh, maybe some intentional moments of uh, just thanking God for the things that He has done and given in your life this week. Um, I love this season because it really it kind of anchors down into this spirit of gratitude. Gratitude not only for the many tangible and intangible blessings that God has given us, but also this spirit of gratitude that culminates on Christmas morning as we celebrate Jesus, as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. And so I hope that you are excited for this season. Um, I'm also very aware that this season also, just like Ryan was saying earlier, Sometimes there's just a lot of trials that people go through. Maybe, the, maybe this season reminds you of not having someone at the table. Maybe this season is difficult because of struggles in relationships that you're going through, um, whether at work or in your family. And just recognize that as a church, this is why God has given us the body of believers, to love one another to serve one another, to help each other, um, to lift each other up. And so, church, I hope that you will take that opportunity to love on people in your life group, love on people that you know here on Sunday mornings, and then at the same time, be willing to reach out and say, hey, this season, I'm not doing so well. This is really, really tough. Just recognize that we want to receive you, we want to love you, and we want to encourage you in that way. Also, I hope that on Thanksgiving morning, for all of you um, who are heathens and you've been listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, I hope that you had a prayer of repentance. I hope that you came into the light to recognize that Christmas can only start on Thanksgiving morning. Um, I know what Pastor Jim said to you. He's not here today, so I can say what I want, even though he may be watching online. Um, but uh, you're wrong for listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Uh, so there you go. We'll leave it at that. I'll probably hear about that later. Uh, so um, we've been going through the book of Romans really for the last several months. Uh, we started off Romans chapter 5 uh, probably back in August, if I remember correctly. And today is kind of the conclusion of our focus and our time in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to be at the very end of Romans chapter 8. And I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do know about you. It's been a joy and a privilege of mine to be able to listen to so many of you talk about what God is bringing to light in your heart and in your mind as we've walked slowly through all of these different passages of Scripture. Maybe it's a, a, a new awareness or an insight into what God's Word says. Maybe it's been this awareness of the Holy Spirit's constant voice, and now you're listening. 
Maybe it's an awareness of the struggles that you've been walking through and recognizing that he truly is with you in the midst of those struggles. I've talked to several of you. I've had you in my office. I've met with you downstairs in the lobby, and I can see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of our church here at Lake Orion. And for that, I'm grateful because it shows that the Spirit is at work in you. It shows that you have a heart that desires to receive direction, a heart that desires to receive insight, and a heart that desires to truly honor the Lord with your life. And as a pastor, it's one of the great privileges that I have to not only walk with you through different things, but also to see you in your faith mature, in your discipleship go deeper, and to recognize and see the impact that you can have in the lives of other people as you share with them in community what it is that God's been teaching you. And so just thank you, church. Thank you for being willing to, to maybe be a little vulnerable with the Lord. Thank you for being willing maybe to be vulnerable in the context of your life group, to share with people in your group. I just, this is kind of where I'm at. The spirit of gratitude kind of permeates in all of these different places of our lives. And you're going to hear about it a little bit later in the service, and you'll hear about it the next few Sundays. But as a church, as we embrace the spirit of gratitude in this season, we, again, look to that generosity that God gave the generosity of his son. And how because of, our, because of our awareness of that, we have that opportunity to also be generous towards him and towards the people that he puts in our lives. And so you'll hear a little bit more about that later. But again, going back to Romans, you see Paul trying to help the early church have this spirit of gratitude to recognize the generous gift and the generous love that God has for them, not so that they would feel good about themselves, but so that it would propel them forward in their pursuit of Jesus. And that's our hope and prayer for today, that you would leave this morning propelled forward, that just like Pastor Jim did last week, you get up from that chair and you take that next step. So I think we should do that together. We're going to do that at the, uh, Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, get your finger there, open up your devices. We'll go to there. Uh, allow me to pray, um, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for your Word, that it truly does bring us life, that it corrects us in our sins, that it makes us more aware of who you are, of your character, of your nature. And God, thank you that we can go to it, that we could see it as an anchor in our, in our lives. And Father, we need you. We need you this morning to speak to us. We need you this morning to illuminate our minds and our hearts to what it is that you have. Father, I pray that you would be with me that as we look in your word, as I deliver what I feel you desire your people to hear, the Father, you would speak through me. So God, we just submit ourselves to you in this time. We ask that you would be here. We ask that you would speak. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 8, starting down at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The desire today is that you would leave knowing that you are more than a conqueror. That you are more than a conqueror. And also that you recognize that the reason why you are a conqueror is not anything based off of what you have done, but it's completely based in God's love for you. This early church that Paul is writing to in the city of Rome, he has, he's been having to spend his time kind of redirecting their course. You see, the church was getting a little off-kiltered. They were starting to believe, they were starting to allow some maybe past traditions from the Jewish tradition. They were allowing cultural impacts from the Greco-Roman world. And they were allowing all of these different things to begin to influence the way that they were as a church. Not in the way necessarily that they operated as a church, but in the way in which they pursued Jesus. They were allowing people to say different things like, hey, you have to do all of these things in order to be right with God. This is what was happening in this church. You have to do all of these different things in order to be right with God. And Paul is having to address that. And he does so starting at verse uh, chapter 5 all the way through 5, 6, and 7. And he's really trying to say, hey, no, let me remind you, this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. This is the way that the Christian life is meant to be lived and meant to be played out. It's not all of these rules. It's not all of these different things that you've inherited from different backgrounds and cultural traditions. Instead, recognize the grace that Jesus offers you because of what he did for you on the cross. And in chapter 8 is when he begins to introduce the way in which we're able to live. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked through the last three or four weeks going through Romans 8, what it means to live your life in the spirit versus in the flesh. And to recognize that the sin that you deal with, the struggles that you go through, all of these different things are meant to be done so in accordance with how the spirit moves and leads in your life. And then he kind of wraps it up right here at the end, starting at verse 31. And he kind of goes into this, you know, what's the word, rhetorical questions. He poses three different questions for the audience, for the hearers of this letter. And those rhetorical questions, they're impactful and they're meaningful for us today. Because ultimately what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to challenge the church. Hey, recognize all these things that you are allowing into your midst right now. And he's saying, stop being a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian. He didn't use that terminology, but as we evaluate what the church is dealing with, and then we kind of look at church today, there's a lot of similarities. Where we allow different things in culture to impact the way in which we pursue Jesus. There are different things in culture that we allow to shape the way that we think God would operate. And oftentimes, it's something that is um, a detour from what God's Word actually says. The Protestant Reformation came about because the church at that time made it a point to ensure that people 
Number one, they didn't have access to God's word like you and I have it today. And so the church kind of imposed these different restrictions and rules and kind of this religiosity into what it was to be a Christian. And in the Protestant Reformation is when they came and they said, stop. Because when we look at God's word, we see that the things that the church is saying that we have to do, it's not actually in line with what the scriptures say we have to do. Why is there that disparity there? We are protesting this, and we are challenging the church. So again, all this kind of sets the stage for us today to remember and recognize why is it that Paul says that you, because of your faith in Jesus, you are a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. And he starts it off with that first rhetorical question. What then shall we say to these things? He's referring to everything that he's just spent the last three chapters talking about. If you could take bookends into the, the 16 chapters of Romans, you could put one book in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, and one book in at chapter 8, verse 39. And in this section right here, Paul is wrapping it all up by saying, as we consider all of these things, what shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have any of you ever maybe used that verse as you're about to go onto the basketball court? Or maybe you've used that verse as you're about to make, try to make a business deal and land that deal. Well, you know what? If God is for us, we're going to get this deal. Nobody can be against us, right? We, we see people use these type of verses, and their intentions are really good. And don't, don't feel shameful in this moment. The intention is good. The desire there is good. But the reality, the depth of what Paul is saying here oftentimes gets missed when we use it in such a colloquial way. That was a really big word. Um, <clears throat> if God is for you, who can be against you? Let's think about an early believer in the church in Rome. Did they have people against them? Nod your head up and down. Yes, the Roman Empire. They had conquered that. They, had, uh, they were in Rome. The Roman Empire was oppressive, and they didn't think Christianity was a cool thing. It wasn't just a normal cultural expectation that, oh, yeah, all that, that church that meets over there, that church that meets over there, that church that meets over there. It wasn't like that in this day and age. It was something that, something that they had to do in secret. It was something that they had to do kind of in a way where they wouldn't get found out. They created this, these symbols that they would put in different mosaics, and we still have some of them today, but they would put these different symbols in different places to say, hey, we're a house of peace. Hey, you see this little ichthus? We're, we're followers of the way. We're followers of Jesus. And so the early Christian, they really recognized that there are people not for me, that there are things that are against me, very tangible things that are against me. How many of us really have tangible things or people that are against us because of our faith? How many people are actively experiencing persecution because of their faith? I would say here in the West, maybe not so much. But you go to the other side of the world, there are a lot of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who because of their faith, they truly feel that 
the world is against them. Maybe it's a political oppression. Maybe it's a, another religious group that's oppressing and persecuting them and hunting them. This is a very real principle and a very real verse for believers who actually experience tangible persecution. If God is for us, who can be against us? At the same time, let's also not, let's not diminish the power of this verse for our brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the world. They recognize where they live. They recognize the oppressors that they have, but yet their faith remains steadfast because of this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, for those of you who, who do use these verses, maybe in a business setting or in a sports competition or something like that, again, intention is good, but don't rob it of its depth and its weight. If God is literally for you, who can be against you? Paul goes on to kind of explain this a little bit more here in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For the Jewish convert that would hear this, they would immediately think of a story in the Old Testament. Anybody know what that story is? There's a guy named Abraham, and a son named Isaac. We've got to wake up a little bit today, right? Abraham and Isaac. God had given Abraham a prophecy. He had given him a word, and he said, through you, my kingdom will come to pass. Through you, many nations will exist. Through you, through your offspring, all of these things will happen. And Abraham was really old. His wife was really old. And in Genesis, it tells us that his wife was barren, unable to have kids. And so for Abraham to hear this promise and to hear this truth foretold about what his offspring would do, Abraham just kind of looked at God, just imagines looking at God saying, really? Okay. And at this point in time, Abraham takes that word of truth, he takes that prophecy, and he says, okay, I'm going to believe God, I'm going to believe God. And then decades go by. And what does he do? He's still remembering the promise. His wife still hasn't given birth to a child yet. Hey, you know what? Let's get a girlfriend. And let's have a surrogate. And we'll have the child through this person, because I'll help bring God's promises to fulfillment. Anybody ever done that before? Or maybe God's given you a promise? Maybe not the surrogate part. Um, but God's given you a promise, and you've waited and waited and waited, and the promise has not come to fruition. And so you see an opportunity, and you try to make the promise come to life. Anybody ever experienced that before? Abraham, that's what he did. Fast forward in the story, eventually Isaac is born. And Isaac is probably teenager, early 20s. And then God comes to Abraham and tells him to do what with his son? Sacrifice him. 
take your child that I promised you, bring him up the mountain, get some wood, carry it with you, and be prepared to offer up your son as a sacrifice to me. What kind of God would do that? Like, be real. It's okay to ask that real question. What kind of God would do that? He promised you a child. He gave you all of these things that your child would do and that your child would usher in. And then, after your child's been alive for a period of time, God then comes to you and says, oh, hey, take your son and place them on the altar and sacrifice him for me. Abraham obeys God, and he brings his son, brings the wood, gets him on the altar, and just imagine that picture. Imagine kind of the, the emotions that Abraham was having. If you're a father, imagine you having to do that with your child. Make it a little real. Could you do that? If God Almighty is telling you to do it, in our piousness, maybe we would want to say, yeah, of course I would, because God would tell me. But then you look at the face of your child as they're laid out on the altar, and you have the knife in your hand. And in that moment, as Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, God says, stop. You've obeyed me. Your faithfulness is true. There's a lamb right over there in the bushes. Take that. Offer that as a sacrifice. For the Jew, for the Jewish convert who heard Paul say in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, it would have triggered and reminded them of that story. For the believer, it should remind you of what God did to his own son. His son that God had prophesied and told through his prophets, I will send a perfect lamb. I will send a savior. He'll be born and he will carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. He will free you in this world. He will bring about this new kingdom. And the only way that he's going to be able to do that is by dying for you. Let the weight of that kind of sink in a moment. If God was willing to give up his son for you, who can be against you? If God Almighty says, I will send my son, he will be the perfect savior who will do no wrong, who will have no sin, I will send him to this world to die on a cross for you. Do you deserve that? Think about your life right now. Think about decisions you've made. Think about choices that you've made. Think about the choices that you're making right now and that you're in the midst of. Do you deserve Jesus' death? Do you deserve him to die on the cross for you? Are you really that worth it? In God's eyes, he would say, 
absolutely. I love you. You're my creation. I had a plan. I had a perfect plan for you. I don't want to make robots. I don't want people to just do everything because I made them that way. I want them to choose to love me. But yet sin has come into the world and it has robbed this perfect plan. And I have to deal with this reality of sin in people's lives. And the only way that I can do it is by offering up my son who can actually take the penalty for all of your sin. Every sin that you've committed in the past, every sin that you're committing right now, and every sin that you will commit into the future. I have to deal with that sin. And I'm willing to offer up my son. And my son is willing to offer up himself for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? I hope I get a little repetitive with you this morning because I want you to think about that all week long. If God is for you, who can be against you? God saw fit because of his love for you to offer up his son. He goes into the next kind of rhetorical questions, starting here at verse 33. Take a look with me. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Imagine kind of a heavenly courtroom, right? A heavenly courtroom where God is sitting as the judge. And he's looking at you. And he looks at you and he says, why should I allow you to be in proximity with me? Why should I allow you to spend eternity with me? Look at the things that you have done, the things that you have thought, the things that you have committed and that I know that you uh, will commit in the future. Why should I bring you into my kingdom? How would you respond to God? I, I gave to the Christmas Vision Fund. I went to church every Sunday. I wore Jesus clothing. I did all these good things. I was a really, morally, I was a really good person. And God looks at you and says, none of those things matter. And then Jesus steps into the courtroom and he looks at you and he says, you believed in me, you confessed me as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith in me, allow me to stand in the middle and look at God the judge and say, because of their faith in me, I will pay the price for all of their sin. Because of their faith in me, because of their trust in who I am, because of all of that, I will pay their price because I am choosing to save them in this moment. And then God looks at his son and he says, so be it. And then he looks at you and he says, because of my son's sacrifice, you are free 
you are with me for all eternity. Not because of what you've done, not because of any good thing that you've ever done in your life, but simply because my son stands in the gap and you've believed, you've confessed my son as your savior, and because of that faith, you are justified in my eyes. Justification is a, it's a legal term. Paul likes to use a lot of legal words, but it's this immediacy. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, in that very same moment, for all time, you are deemed righteous in the eyes of God. You're deemed righteous. You don't lose that righteousness in the eyes of God. If your heart truly believes and has confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're righteous. And earlier in chapter 6, chapter 7, Paul expounds on this justification a little bit more. Jesus is standing there in the gap. God says, you are justified because of your faith in my son. And Jesus looks at God the Father and says, I love him. I've paid his price. And then he turns and looks at you, and he says, go and sin no more. Because if you're justified because of your faith, well, why can't you just go and do whatever it is that you want to do in life? It's okay if you sin, because you're justified. You're not going to have to pay the price eternally for your sin because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. So just go live your life however you want to live. Paul has to just kind of confront that head on. And he says, by no means does this grace mean that you can go and sin for the rest of your life. But it's completely opposite because of the recognition that Jesus does stand in front of you because Jesus did endure the death that he endured because Jesus did rise from the grave because of all of these things Therefore, go in sin no more. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're dealing with sin right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will deal with sin in the future. The difference is, whenever you do sin, whenever the reality and the conviction of that sin comes into your life, how do you respond to Jesus, who is standing there in that courtroom saying, I know that you did it again and I still love you. I know you did it again. I still forgive you. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. What we as followers of Jesus, what we have to do is examine ourselves and say, in these moments of conviction of sin, how do we respond? Do we respond in kind of depression? in grief and kind of wallow in like, I did it again. Like, he's never going to be okay with me. Like, I'm never, he's, I'm never going to be good enough for Jesus. I'm never going to be good enough for God because I just can't get out of this thing or I just continue to go back to this thing, right? We kind of grab that chair and we kind of sit down like, woe is me. No, Jesus says, I've forgiven you. Get up, move forward. Who can, bring, who can bring a charge against you? No one. 
because Jesus has already paid that price. He's already declared you innocent because of his sacrifice, not because of anything that you've done apart from your faith in him. Lastly, look with me here. Who shall separate us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written for your sake, we're being killed all the day long, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can be against you? No one. Why? Because you're a conqueror. Are you a conqueror because of all the things that you've done really well in your life? Are you a conqueror because you've trained really, really hard to fight the battles? Are you a conqueror because, because of anything that you've tried to do in your life? No. You're a conqueror simply because Jesus loves you. That's what makes you a conqueror. You're a conqueror. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I wouldn't go into your office tomorrow and be like, guys, I'm a conqueror, so you have to listen to everything I say. It's this reality, and it's this principle that as believers we have to embrace. You are more, you are more than a conqueror because of Jesus' love for you. You're more. So get up. Stop wallowing around in your misery. Stop intentionally choosing to sin. Get up. Stop just attending church on Sunday because you feel like, well, I got to keep checking that box. You are more. You are more you are more, you are more, because Jesus loves you. We say in that song, give thanks. How well are we giving thanks? How well are we embracing this spirit of gratitude, of this fact that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus' love? That he has for us. Who can bring a charge against you? No one. That doesn't mean that you get to live, you know, you live your life where nobody gets to challenge you. Big difference. That's why we have the community. That's why we have the church. Because you're not always going to do things correctly. You're not always going to get everything right. You're not always going to be perfect in the way that you pursue Jesus. Be around people who can lovingly challenge you and say, hey, yes, you sinned, but your sin doesn't separate you from the love of God. If anything, your sin reminds you of your need for the love of God. Because of this sin, don't forget the fact that God still loves you. 
despite how horrendous it may be. He still loves you. Don't be so arrogant in your sin that God can't forgive you and that God won't forgive you. He loves you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? No one. No one. So stop being against yourself. Stop your self-defeating practices. Stop isolating yourself from people when you're in pain or when you're in sin. If God is for you, who can be against you? You are more than a conqueror because of Jesus' love for you. As we go into Christmas, as we go into this season, may it change the way in which you worship. May it change the way in which you sing the timeless Christmas carols as you recognize the immense love that God shows to you and how undeserving you really are. And don't stay in this ho-hum like, I'm just so unworthy. Pastor Alex said, I just have to walk around like sad. You are more than a conqueror. Stand up. Get out of the chair. Move forward and recognize that Jesus is right there with you. He's given you his Holy Spirit to say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I love you. Church, I hope you're encouraged. I hope there was enough repetitive phrases in here that this week you're just kind of annoyed. But I want you to remember these things. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that all of your struggles in relationships and in work and navigating through this world are going to just simply vanish. But what it does mean is that you have these anchors to hold on to in the midst of all of those things. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is why we're a little odd. Because we recognize that there's someone who loves us so so, so much, and we don't deserve it because we're aware of our own sin and our own failures. But yet, because of his love, he has made us more than conquerors in this world. Be encouraged, church. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, I love how you orchestrate your church. I love how you orchestrate what we see, what we study, what we hear about from your word, and how today, as we go into this Christmas season, how we get to start it off being reminded that because of your love, that we are more than conquerors. That because of your love, no one can be against us. That because of your love, there's 
no condemnation. God, would that reality sink deep into our hearts to where we have heart change and then we have behavior change. But God, may your love for us this Christmas season help us to embrace that, help us to dwell in that, help us to meditate and focus on the love that you have for us and may it propel us forward. May it help us get up out of the chair and to take the next step. May it be that thing that helps us to see that you love us, that you have a plan for us, and that you desire for us to follow you. And God, for that person who's here this morning, and they don't understand that love that you have. Would you just break it through in their heart and in their mind? Would you overwhelm them with this generous love that you have for them? And remind them and tell them for the, maybe for the very first time, I am your father. I know you and I love you. Come and follow me. Father, we ask that you do a work. May our hearts and our worship of you be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.